here we are. We are turning the page every week to a new chapter. We're going verse by verse uh, through the life of Joseph, our patriarch, here in uh, the days of Genesis. And so uh, we got started there a couple chapters ago. And we find ourselves, like I said, in chapter 40 now, so you can get situated. Uh, we use the word patriarch uh, for founding father of our, of our Judeo-Christian uh, faith. And it's called Judeo-Christian because uh, Judaism is the root and Christianity is the tree of life as it's called. And so very interesting. I don't know if you noticed, but our Old Testament um, study here in Genesis and our New Testament study on Sunday morning in the book of Acts, uh, really, they're separated by 2,000 years. And they're often, though, dovetailing with the the similar truth. So, uh, you know, the story of redemption it is the same no matter what testament you're in. It has common themes. And though separated by 2,000 years, the people of God who are living God's will in a, in a world that's hostile to all absolute truth and all things gospel, there's persecution, there's mistreatment, there's oppression, slander, false accusations, injustices. Uh, that's our common destiny as the people of God as we have to walk out our salvation uh, with some serious uh, uh, devotion here in a world that is opposed uh, to the Lord. And so, yeah, uh, but the redeemed of the Lord have nothing to fear. And that's who we are. And so Peter will exhort those who are suffering for the faith to humble ourselves. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Stand firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And there you have it. So whether you're in Genesis or all the way to Revelation, if you're trying to live for God in this world, you will suffer persecution. And that's what we see uh, tonight in our patriarchs uh, like Joseph. And so where are we in his story of redemption? Well, he's still in the suffering phase because as verse 10 says of 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, um, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So that's God's promise. And we're always somewhere in the mix there. Where's Joseph? As I've been saying, he's still in the suffering a while uh, phase. And so Uh, We've seen the jealousy and the subsequent um, mistreatment of the brothers. Now for a little context, we'll dive back in. And then the attempted murder and how he wound up as a slave in Potiphar's uh, uh, household. He's captain of the uh, secret uh, service there surrounding Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, But Joseph ended up there in the household and the Redeemer has started his redeeming. He's building Joseph's character through all of this and increasing his faith and he's granting him incredible supernatural favor in the eyes of Potiphar and he got promoted to chief administrator 
so much so that Potiphar didn't have to do a thing, but he was running the entire uh, uh, security agency. And then there's always a setback in the story of redemption. Two steps forward, three steps back. That's your story, my story, Joseph's story. Uh, the evil one it pushed back because you can't have uh, this man rising and rising and rising. And so the Lord <clears throat> will orchestrate to use uh, Satan's attack and what Satan means for evil, God will intend for good, which is kind of the motto of the story. Uh, so Mrs. Potiphar <laughs> She and the devil are on good terms with one another. <laughs> and together they set their sights on this young, attractive, lonely man, Joseph. But when uh, Joseph spurns her constant attempts to seduce him, she frames him and accused him of attempted rape. We saw that last time. Back down he goes to the bottom floor, back down to the dungeon. But last we heard, the fires of redemption have been uh, kindled again. And here goes God doing his thing. And he grants Joseph the Midas touch there. Everything Joseph touches, even in the prison as an inmate, turns to gold. And another shout out to how nobody believes Mrs. Potiphar and everybody knows she's lying and she's crazy um, because the warden <laughs> opens up the cell and says, Joseph, come on out here, man. Help me run this place. And so much so that the warden now doesn't do a thing. But Joseph is running the show. And so <laughs> that's amazing. And so now the last few verses, uh, last time, uh, what a surprise. He isn't <laughs> chained up there in the dungeon, but he's actually um, completely running the entire uh, prison there, the king's prison as it was called. And while he's doing that, this happens. Chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And verse 2, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer, the wine guy, all right, and the, the wine steward, <laughs> and the chief baker, who was not just baker, he was in charge, he's head chef, all the food. Verse 3, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, that should ring a bell, in the same position where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them, the two notorious new convicts, to Joseph. And he attended them, served them. And they had been in custody, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Let's pause there and see what's going on here. So these dreams in Genesis, and you know, Joseph starts with two dreams, and then these guys have two dreams, a couple of dreams, and then Pharaoh will have two dreams. And so this is kind of a theme going through. God is a beautiful storyteller. And the thing about it is that he's not telling a story. These are things that have their root in history. They really happen. So two prisoners we meet now with two dreams. And really, uh, the, it's a time of testing for Joseph. 
at Joseph's character, faith, perseverance, it's being <laughs> severely tested. And he's acing every single test that comes his way. God is just really preparing him and molding his character. And troubles are like God's gym, you know? We don't really like to go. We're happy when we do go and get out of there, you know? But uh, that's where he trains us spiritually and strengthens us through our adversity. And so Joseph is getting uh, an awesome uh, workout for sure. He's going to need to be a real man of God because of the position the Lord has for him. And so let's meet and greet here the king's prison uh, intake room. Uh, Cup bearer is the wine steward. Uh, He manages the wine cellar and he pours the wine uh, into the king's cup. The baker's in charge of all the food, as I said, not just the bread and the pyramid-shaped scones. <laughs> some kind of serious misconduct has happened, and some kind of crime against Pharaoh himself. The best guess of the commentators is that a plot to poison the king is afoot. Maybe Pharaoh became sick, but they can't determine who it was. So let's throw them both in the slammer until we figure it out. Truth be told, whatever external reason uh, that uh, they were sent to the prison in God's providence, they're really there to meet Joseph. One writer said this, and I have hearts all around it, God makes all things to serve heaven's heirs. Isn't that a good one? Yeah, so notice in verse 4, shout out once again that everyone knows that Joseph is innocent. The captain of the guard gets a hold of these two men and he hands them over these notorious men, these would-be assassins of the king. The captain of the guard knows just who to put in charge of them. It's Joseph. Why? Who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Did you forget that? Potiphar. His wife has accused this man of attempted rape. Of his wife. And he says, hey Joseph, I got a deal for you. Come on out here, Bubba. You know, you gotta, yeah. He's already in charge. And and Potiphar knows he's in charge with, the, with his blessing. And then he, he just kind of says, he, he takes them aside and says, I'm sorry for what happened, you know, but can you imagine living with her? <laughs> Why would he bring the two criminals, uh, should be on death row, to Joseph, who was accused of uh, uh, raping his own wife? It's because he knows the truth. And who knows what's happened to her? The story doesn't tell you. She could be off in the Mediterranean with some other guy. (laughs) Whatever. So, yeah, (laughs) that's just crazy. So, uh, Joseph faithfully is serving, and now has been entrusted these two um, notorious inmates. And (laughs) what paradox, he's also an inmate of sorts, even though he's running the prison. Okay, so the new inmates have a disturbing dream. They're very similar, but they have different twists at the end. So verse 6, when Joseph, verse 6, 
when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, downcast. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today, guys? We both had dreams, they said, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Let's pause there. The saving grace of a good attitude. Listen, the whole amazing story lives and dies right here. Now, it's certainly true. Attitude is everything in this case. Uh, one writer, Joseph had everything, <clears throat> every reason, I should say, worldly reason to feel sorry for himself, to indulge uh, himself in a gigantic pity party. He could have become bitter down there in the dungeon, you know, and it, it would have rendered him useless, unfit for service, disqualified for the job. Not to mention he wouldn't be interested in these two prisoners. He'd be focused on his own troubles. Who cares if they look upset? When you're upset and nursing your own wounds and all of that, you don't care about that guy's problems. You got your own problems. But that's not his attitude, you see. And, uh, you know, had that been his attitude, he would have cut off his own lifeline into the dungeon that God is going to throw him through these two guys. If he was shut down to them, you see, that's why it's really smart to be other-centered. So I, uh, I wonder how many opportunities and blessings uh, have we missed because we're so inwardly preoccupied with me, myself, and I. We, you know, God will send an opportunity right there, which will open a door to a future blessing, but you can't see it because you're all focused about uh, yourself. And so Joseph's focus is about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not me, myself, and I. And so um, an awesome example of, as Philippians 2 says, consider other people more important than you. And consider other people's needs as much as you consider your own needs, you see. So because he is not focused on himself, he can one, see that there's a problem, and two, care about him. He's got room in his heart. You know, he, verse six, he notices they seem down and depressed, and, you know, uh, had he been self-focused, as I've been saying, he, he wouldn't even notice, right? And so self-focus sets you up and me up for the ugliest kinds of sin, totally. I'll give you an example. Jesus lets his disciples know that, hey guys, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm quoting verse 34 of Matthew 10. Hey, listen, I'm going to be condemned to death. They're going to mock me, spit in my face, Flog me and kill me. Verse 35. Then James and John say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. Well, what is it? What do you want? Well, when you come in your kingdom, I want spot number one, and John wants spot number two. Wait, wait a second. Uh, I think verse 34, let's go back to 34. The Son of God is telling you after three and a half years, I'm going to be killed. They're going to torture me. Oh, we got a question. What is it? What about us? Wow. Why? That's it. They walk around like this all day long. 
you need to go from this to this and then to that. That's life. And when you're in this, it's the most miserable time of your life. It's the most unhealthy. It's the most unproductive. It's the most ineffective. This focus, you will never do anything for God. Just for you. And what you think is for God. Joseph's not like that. He's got ram. He's got room. Why? Because he doesn't live in his sorrows. He doesn't live in the past. He doesn't keep rehearsing all of that. You know why he's got room for them and caring about them and how are you guys doing? Because early, before sunrise, he kneels before God and he entrusts all of his own personal drama to God. And he entrusts himself, commits his spirit to God, and now he can walk into the day with room for other people because he's not all about himself. And so the morning after they have uh, their dreams, Joseph is making the rounds. The guys don't look so good, verse 7. And and why is he asking them? Because he cares. That's what Christians do. That's what people of God know. We are our brother's keeper. So we'll we'll see the face and sometimes we're just like, I don't know. I'm not asking, you know. But he's going to ask. Why does he ask? So that he can minister to them. He has a heart like his father. And he notices their face. It's a dead giveaway. As the Proverbs say, a happy heart makes the face um, i got to peel this off here. It makes it cheerful. Right? It was like scratching a lottery thing. But, but I don't do that. So <laughs> I just know that. Okay, moving on. Uh, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, Proverbs 15. Not so when your heart is distraught. Your face can show it. You know, people wear their feelings, some of them on their sleeves, you know, which is kind of means on your face. You know, I'm kind of like that. I I can never hide anything from that one over there. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. How did she know every single time? Well, all right. Because she's got that girl antenna thing. Just goes like that. Unbelievable. So these men were visibly upset. It turns out they both had unusually vivid dreams with unusual detail, unusual similarity. And they're both more disturbed about the dreams than they are their incarceration. They're, they're stunned by the message and also stumped as to its meaning. And, you know, God is at work. He likes to use dreams in the Old Testament and New Testament. Oh, my word. There's really two kinds of dreams when God's communicating. One, um, one has audio. He appears and there's a voice. And others are just visual. All right, so an example of the audio dreams. He appears to King Solomon in a dream and says, hey, ask me for whatever you want. What is it that you want? I want to give you something. What is it you want? Ask me. Well, that's pretty clear as to the meaning of that dream. (laughs) And so 1 Kings 3, they're easy to understand. How about the dream of uh, of a previous pharaoh? The Lord appeared... Uh, to Pharaoh in a dream who had taken by mistake Abraham's wife into his harem. He didn't know that. Well, God gave him a dream to tell him. 
and said, hey, bub, listen up. Touch Abraham's wife and you're dead. So that's pretty much what he said to him. So he woke up and called Abraham and, and it wasn't too pleased with Abraham. Uh, you know, to uh, Mary's fiance, Joseph, the 2,000 years later, Joseph, um, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is the Lord's doing. What she's conceived is of the Holy Spirit. Check, got it. All right. Then there are the dreams with no audio. <laughs> Jacob dreams of this ladder and angels descending in Genesis 28. Nebuchadnezzar dreams of this giant gold statue, at least its head is gold, Daniel 2. And Judges chapter 7, an enemy soldier on the Midianite side uh, has a dream about this <laughs> loaf of barley rolling into the camp. And so dreams where someone speaks, they're self-interpreting. And a dream in which nobody speaks can be unnerving, one writer said, commentator Hamilton, and uh, unnerved these two are. Now the reason they're distressed, and they say in verse 8, is they're, they're cut off from Pharaoh's wise men. So if only they were free, they could go and call in some of these uh, sorcerer, fortune teller psychics and, and try to find out. But they're, they're, they're like, you know, we're cut off from the outside. Who's going to interpret our dream? It would be like being lost and then you radioed the coordinates to get to safety, but you don't have a compass. You know, you left it at home. So... That morning, here comes Joseph with a wash basin and some koshari shai, which is a black, very sweet minted tea that Egyptians love. And so he comes in there serving. That's what he's doing. And gloom and doom's written all over their faces. The word for how they're feeling is drained of wellness, perplexed, all right? So he says, you guys look terrible. What on earth has happened? We both had these cryptic dreams, you, you know, and, and not gonna like, not not like we're gonna find some interpreter down here in the dungeons. And then Joseph has a chance to witness to them. He says, "I'm happy to share the good news that actually, your your help isn't with the guys on the outside. Doesn't interpretation of dreams belong to God?" And I got some good news for you. God's not trapped outside of your little prison. So why don't you tell me, I know the Lord, tell me the dream. Because you've got the help. The help is with God. Not with those guys in Pharaoh's court. Right? So, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches and as soon as it budded it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means. Boom. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Uh, it means summon you or affirm you or take your case. There's a lot of Hebrew idiom there and a uh, play on words as well <laughs> in English. will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cup bearer. But 
when it all goes well with you, remember me and show me a little kindness, man. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here in this dungeon. I have done nothing to deserve being put in this prison. And so now, can you believe it if you were here on Sunday? On Sunday, Paul's preaching to the Thessalonians as in Acts chapter 17. And he says, listen up Jews, it is prophesied uh, he, Messiah must die, Messiah must be buried and, and be raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So I went into the scriptures and showed you in the Old Testament all the places that on the third day, on the third day, on the third day, there's a raising up. Well, I forgot about this one. <laughs> and here it is on three days later after uh, we discovered uh, that text. And so, yeah, we looked at the, I mean, the prophetic foreshadowing here is crazy. I mean, here's a man in the pit of condemnation, condemned. He's restored to his rightful place, to the right hand of power on the third day. That's nice. So the wine steward goes first. I think he goes first because the general tone of his dream, it just seems without being a prophet <laughs> that something promising happens at the end. It seems positive. So Joseph's response, quick, clear, divisive, immediate, instinctive, and unqualified. No, maybe this, maybe that. Ambiguity, none of that. No caveats. In three days you'll be back to work. Period. Doing your thing like you used to. End of story. And in 72 hours everybody's going to know whether or not this man is the real deal or a false prophet. And I imagine the wide-eyed reaction when the memo comes on the third day to release the cupbearer on that morning. And I wonder how many Egyptians are going to be in heaven because they put their trust in the God of Joseph there. We may meet them in heaven. So Joseph's no fool. He sees an opportunity in verse 14. Uh, and uh, yeah, so he, he's full of faith. He knows it's going to happen. And so he adds a PS. Now, if you ever need a favor from somebody, the best time to make your request is after you've bailed them out of a problem. <laughs> so it instills in most people a sense of gratitude and indebtedness. And that's when you want to ask for uh, a favor. It's a polite request. There's no demand. He says, hey, listen, buddy, I know in my heart you're going to be home with wifey and kids and enjoying sunshine on your face again. How nice for you. Uh, living, <laughs> living the dream again in the good graces of Pharaoh. Could you put in a kind word for me? So, uh, yeah, um, it's a rare moment when he's going to defend himself. But it's a practical purpose. He needs him to know the truth so he can bring word to Pharaoh, right? So he says, hey, I was kidnapped from the land of Israel. I've done nothing wrong to merit confinement in the dungeon. Uh, yeah, and by the way, the word dungeon there is the same word for the cistern that the brothers threw him into. You see, yeah, I know. It's quite a story, isn't it? And I, I really love this. Listen to this, because I think it's for somebody here. It might be for me. Um, Godly Joseph, 
I had been with the cupbearer and the baker for quite some time before the dream happened. They got to know each other long enough to have heard the long, sad, woe is me saga of Joseph. But guess what? They don't know it. He has to tell them. They spent all that time together, confined together. And it's such a story. Where are you from? You don't look like one of us. You look a little different. Are you Hebrew? Tell us the story. All those hours locked up together and not one negative word about it. They had no idea why. Because he doesn't live back there. People, he doesn't keep rehearsing it over and over again. That's not his life. That happened a long time ago. He's got a life now. He's, he's Philippians chapter 3 this, all right? <laughs> but this one thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God is calling me heavenward in Messiah. This is his life. This is the success, the secret to success that so many people miss. They've got dates and places and exact lines. 20 years ago, you said, oh, come on. You're not going anywhere in a hurry except shackling yourself to the same pain and misery over and over again. All the while, God said you could have left that behind. You could have left it behind. Anytime you want to leave it behind. And wake up to new mercies today. He says you can if you want. It won't really serve your dysfunctional reason for keeping it around. Because you only keep things around because they serve a purpose. And if you're still living in it, you want to live in it. Because you don't have to. You're making a choice. I still want this. I need it. It's helping people treat me the way I want to be treated. It kind of is an excuse to get, I don't have to kind of come out and I don't have to take on my full responsibilities. I think you're getting it. Joseph is not like that. When someone asks him, how are you? He doesn't say, you know, I've been, I've been better. You know, it all started when I was 17. My father made me this beautiful robe and my brothers. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That's not how the godly roll. That's not how godly people live their lives. When godly people are asked, how are you? They say, fine, thank you. And you, they don't start with the list. So, yeah. <laughs> so Joseph's thinking one good turn deserves another. He's hopeful. He's put a bug in the guy's ear. And uh, he's going to leave it at that. Now, verse 16, in the Netflix movie version, the movie music changes to low tones of impending doom as the second man gets ready to share his dream. All right, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he got encouraged. He says to Joseph, okay, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket was all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Look at this boom, boom, boom here. Verse 18. This is what it means. 
Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head, hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. (laughs) Blunt force trauma (laughs) to the spirit. (laughs) Right there. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, he had his hopes up. That's what makes the fall so hard, right? He, he heard, whoa, look at you, happy ending. Yeah, what about me? Happy ending too? Well, actually, boom, boom, boom. Oh, man, no flowery speech, no pulling punches, no brace yourself for impact, no warning, no red light warning, brace, brace, brace. No, wow. So... Yeah, so yeah, that's what he's thinking. He was hoping for something better than that. So yeah, this is ominous here. How terrible, right? But no worries. Yahweh is there in the cell to catch him. And he'll use Joseph to help cushion the man's fall. I'll explain. Now, first the bad news. Joseph is speaking, and here's what he's saying. Gospel. This is the gospel. Man, listen, I got some bad news for you. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment and your appointment is 72 hours uh, away. That's what he's saying. You got three days to live, sir. Pharaoh's going to have you hanged. Your dead body will provide nourishment for the birds of the prey. That's what the dream means. Now, how important and valuable and timely is this little point here. As God's people, (laughs) we have to interpret the mystery of all mysteries. We are Joseph, and they are the dreamers, and death is the subject of the dream. So they come to us and ask, well, (laughs) what's going to happen when I die? I think I'm going to be fine and all of this. God's people must relay God's truth exactly as God tells us to. And it's just as blunt and just as terrifying, but worse, but worse because it's eternal. You see, not prettying it up. Notice he doesn't edit or delete. Most sinners need to be shaken to the core before they'll give God the time of day. That's what saved me. I heard all kinds of nice things, all kinds of good things about the gospel. Whatever. They don't want them. I could live without him. I got a happy life. But then when I heard, I read a chick track. And it was simple, short, and just as blunt and brutal. And had a great white throne. And it had pictures of people standing before and quoting. And then I saw a great white throne. And those standing around it, both great and small. And nowhere was found on earth for them. And heaven and earth fled from their presence. And then the books were opened. And, and they were judged according to the deeds in the books. And then who, whoever's name is not written on the, in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Wow. <laughs> now you've got my attention. <laughs> Speak, because I want to hear, because I'm not going there. And it's not worth any joy, not worth any pleasure, not worth any gain, as Jesus said. What would it gain a man to win the whole world and lose your soul? So that's what pushed me over. And it's a kindness and a gracious act of mercy and love to brutalize him with the truth. Why? He's got 72 hours before he perishes forever. 
So now God's got his attention and he's incarcerated him with who? Joseph the hero. And Joseph the hero has been assigned to serve this man. He just served him. Notice you've got 72 hours to live. Now let me tell you about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That for surely, surely is what happened. He tell him, listen up, don't cry, listen to me. My great-grandfather Abraham simply was an idol worshiper. He did not know God, but God came to him and spoke to him, and he, quoting the Bible, Genesis 15, verse 6, he believed God, and God put him right with himself because of his simple faith. 15, verse 6. That's it. That's the gospel there. Man, you're going to die. Get right with the Lord. You've got plenty of time. And when you face the gallows, you will not do it alone and you will not do it in fear. You will have the peace and presence of the God who spoke and made heaven and earth. Jesus said, don't be afraid of people who can kill your body. And then after that, what can they do? Jesus speaking, I'll tell you. Where your concern ought to be is your soul that lives forever. He says, fear God, because after you're dead, God determines heaven or hell. So he says, concentrate on that and not on lesser things. And so, yeah, we imagine the next few days, the guy's got, the baker's got a lot of questions and Joseph has a lot of answers. Put your faith in God, man. You're going to be okay. Let's finish up verse 20. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, <laughs> and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of, it means to summon, to call. It can. But the, the Holy Spirit just having a lot of fun with these phrases. <laughs> he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. All right, so the third day arrives and um, I wonder how about Joseph? How did Joseph do for 72 hours? Come on, he's a man. Yeah, he's not perfect. I, I would, it was like when he gave the announcement or the prediction, it was like turning over a big hourglass and 72 hours worth of sand just starts going through. And he knows this better happen. Oh God, please, please don't make me look bad here. You know, and you got to come through. And if the cupbearer isn't restored, I'm going nowhere. So please, God, if ever, please, you know. And so the third day comes, happy birthday, boy, Pharaoh, uh, throws a party for himself. <laughs> I guess that's what you do when you're a Pharaoh, you know. And just throw a party for me, you know, it's my birthday. So it's the day of reckoning. So number one, the cupbearer is summoned to his position pouring out the Chardonnay. But the baker is headed to the gallows with a black sack over his head. But we've got strong reason to suspect he went with a clean heart and uh, a good amount of peace and prayers to Yahweh, Joseph's God. Perhaps he opened his eyes in a place Jesus called paradise. 
So depending on the, the spiritual condition of the cupbearer who was promoted there and lives to talk about it, um, the baker really might have had a better ending than the cupbearer. The cupbearer, we don't have evidence of repentance, you know? We don't have really hard evidence of either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's all about the heart. Okay, so what about the cupbearer's sort of promise? He doesn't say he promises, but he, I'm sure he nodded. Of course I'll remember you to Pharaoh, you know? And, and so Joseph's thinking, surely it's not going to be too long before the story comes out and I'll be free. And so here's the last verse of the chapter and we're done. The chief cupbearer, however, <laughs> did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, you know, that's just beautiful language, just emphasizing. And, and the two Hebrew words are very strong of neglect, abandonment, just total out of mind, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Joseph, who? I got my wife, I got my kids, I got my job. Whatever. Wow. That's a long time. So, yeah, um, I can only imagine, really, the disappointment for him. You know, a few weeks go by. Every time he hears the gate open, he's like, this is it, right? No, 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 just another FedEx package. And uh, <laughs> a, few, a few months, uh, a few months, fall comes, and then winter, then spring, then summer. And then it's fall again. He's like, God. Remember me? And then it's spring, and then long days of summer, and then it's fall again, year two. You know why this is happening? Because God's work in Joseph is not complete yet. He's not done. Have you ever baked something or made a, even a roast or something, and you got impatient, and you took the cake or the meat, whatever, out too early, you cut it in the middle there, not pretty, not pretty at all, right? Not attractive. And neither are we, <laughs> spiritually speaking. If you pop yourself out of the oven before it's you're fully cooked, <laughs> may the good Lord have mercy on those around you because <laughs> you are not well prepared. And so... Yeah, that's what we have to do. The safest, best place to be is in the center of God's will, even if it's in the middle of adversity, because we can count it all joy, because God's at work in our hearts and lives. So think of it. Joseph's going to have to, he's going to rule Egypt. Spoiler alert. His, uh, his faith can never waver. His moral resolve can never weaken. His love for God must never wane just because of the pressure of his outward circumstances. You, he just has to be above reproach in every way. God has to depend on him to save the world, the then known world. It's all going to be on Joseph's shoulders. So God is just saying, you need a little more time. I want you to rest in me I want you to trust in my promises. I want you to fully yield to me 
during this time so that I can shape you and prepare you and set you up for success so that when I get you here, you won't implode. You'll be strong enough. So have patience and wait on the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. We, in so many ways, just resonate with what you're doing in Joseph's life here because you're doing it in our hearts too. So have your way, God, through the ups and downs, highs and lows, the two steps forward, the three steps back. Oh, Lord, just let us be more like Joseph. He's just a straight arrow. No matter what you do to this guy, (laughs) he just starts the next day praying and serving you and loving you with a soft and open heart. May we follow in that beautiful example. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.